welcome. My name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. the Ark of the Covenant, and remember they use the pronoun it. It will save us. And they put their faith and they put their trust in an object rather than God. They said that if we bring our good luck charm, if we bring this, then we'll have God's presence. And they did everything but seek God. They did everything but pray and read their Bibles and to look for God. They just try to shortcut it and try to bring an object in. Well, what happened is that they lost the battle horribly and lost thousands of people in that battle. In addition, Hopni and Phineas, who were priests who were supposed to guard the ark, were killed. Eli, the high priest, died hearing the news. And what made it worse than anything was the ark of the covenant itself was taken by the Philistines. Now, For the people of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And to them, this was a a huge blow, an unrecoverable blow. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? What's going to happen? The Ark of the Covenant is taken. If you don't mind, let's pick it up with the continuation of this story in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 5. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 5, and notice with me if you don't mind, starting at verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of his palms were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any came into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he smote them, or he destroyed them and smote them with emroids even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of with the ark of the God of Israel. And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And it was so after they carried it about, the hand of God was against the city. 
with a very destruction, great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great. And they had emroids in their secret parts. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And it came to pass that the ark of God came to Ekron. And the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to his place that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with emroids and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is listed twice in the first two verses? First Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says, The Philistines took the ark of God. Once again in verse number 2, The Philistines took the ark of God. And what we're going to hit today is this idea, what happened here when the Philistines, they took the ark of God? We're going to see the occurrences when, when the Philistines took the ark of God. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you right now, we're just asking that you would open up your Bible in a special way. We know that this is not just a fairy tale story. This is a historical event. This actually occurred. And as we go through it, let us see that there is a God in heaven who is very much alive and very much can take care of his own self. And your own things. Lord, I'm asking that it would give us hope. And it would give us encouragement. For the impossible task that sometimes we deal with in our own lives. Lord, you do your own work. And once again, I beg that you fill me with your precious spirit. I'm asking that you fill me for the purpose that you get your own work accomplished today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Philistines took the ark of God. Now, to me... This is a fun passage because it shows that God is able to take care of his own self. If you don't mind, I'm going to get into a little bit of a storyteller mode within here. But notice with me, the first thing I would like to show you here is the Philistines and their God. The Philistines and their God. So the Philistines, they took the Ark of the Covenant, the prized possession, the, the thing that represented the presence of God to the Israelites. And so they took it captive and they, got, they said, well, we got to put it somewhere. Well, it's religious. Let's put it into one of our temples. So notice with me back in verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to Ebenezer unto Ashdod. So what they did is they brought it from Ebenezer. This is the Israelite place where they were in battle. And they took it to the Philistine city of Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. So what they did is they hauled the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it to a special temple, to the temple to Dagon. Now, Dagon was a Philistine god. It was a fertility god, uh, the god of the grain. Some people say it's the fish god. But it was a special god that the Philistines associated themselves with. And so it was a huge statue of Dagon that was in this temple, maybe hands out, but it was standing there. People would come and worship it. And so they brought the, brought the Ark of the Covenant. They set it there right by, the, um, by Dagon. And they said, all right, good. And then they closed up for business. The next day when they come into the temple, 
All of a sudden, they walk in, and Dagon is face down in the dirt. This statue is knocked over, bowing down beneath the Ark of the Covenant. So they scratch their head and say, man, oh, it's clumsy Larry again or something. Maybe he knocked into it. I don't know how it fell. We'll find out who did it. So they lift him back up and they set him back and they go through that day's uh, proceedings. The next morning they go in and not only is Dagon face down in the ground again, but the God, their God of this fake idol, its head is cut off. Its hands are cut off. Nothing's left but a stump before the Ark of the Covenant. And they go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, there's something bad. This Ark just destroyed in the middle of the night our God. So they took the Ark of the Covenant out. Then they marked off the, the temple and said, no one could go in there anymore. And according to the passage here, that people didn't go in this temple for years and years and years. They're afraid of what's going to happen because the Israelites' God beat up their God. That's pretty amazing, huh? But it goes on. Notice if you don't mind, let's kind of read past this in verse number three. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morning, behold, Dagon was fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him back in his place again. And when they arose in the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither of the priests of Dagon nor any that came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them in Ashdod and he, that's God, destroyed them and smote them with emeroids, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. So God is not just playing warfare with this fake idol, but people of the town start getting a disease, start getting uh, infirmity. That people in the town of Ashdod begin to get emeroids. People say, what is this? Well, it is actually what we would call today hemorrhoids. That God struck him down with hemorrhoids, which is a very um, uncomfortable uh, type disease. And someone will say, all right, well, he's destroying them with hemorrhoids. Well, let's see what else he does. Notice in verse um, uh, number six again. And the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them in Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with hemorrhoids, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. So after a while of suffering through this infirmity, they said, We don't want this ark here anymore. We want it out of here. This, the God who, who owns this thing, he's destroyed our God, he's messing with us. We want this ark out of here. So they bring it to the next town. Notice if you don't mind. Verse 8. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away unto Gath. And they carried the ark of the Israel about thither. So it went from Ekron or Ashdod and they carried it to Gath. All right, we'll just bring it to a different town. You guys stop complaining. Uh, You know, this thing can't hurt you at all. 
So they bring it to Gath, verse 9. And it was so after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city in a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeroids in their secret parts. So he brings it to the next city, and the same thing happens. That the people are struck with this disease, and they're being uncomfortable. They're being smote. People are actually dying. Someone says, you could die of hemorrhoids. Actually, I looked it up. Seven people a year in the United States die of hemorrhoids every year. That's not something that's a major killer. But God is making it so it's so uncomfortable. It is so debilitating that people are actually dying from this very uncomfortable and as the Bible said in their secret places, disease. And back then in the ancient world, uh, when someone got a disease in what the Bible said their secret parts, they would normally associate it that it was a God or a being doing this. So God is doing it in a way that they understood it's God that's doing it. It's not just a happenstance. It's not just a plague or an infection or something. This is something. By the way, emroids are not contagious. So God is giving them all a non-contagious disease, infirmity, infliction that is so bad that they're so uncomfortable that people are dying from it. Now, again, when I taught this to my high school class, they could not stop laughing the whole time here. Because this shows God's... To me, it's funny that God is making them uncomfortable and he's doing it in such a way... They know it's God so much that they're playing hot potato with the Ark of the Covenant. It went from Ashdod and went to Gath. Finally, the people Gath says, we don't want it here. Let's get it to the next city. Verse five. Therefore, they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. And it came to pass as the Ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out and said, they have brought about the Ark of God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. They're mad. Why'd you put this Ark here? We don't want it. Next thing you know, all their cities being slain, they're getting uncomfortable. They're all like, we don't want it no more. You guys did it just to be mean to you. You know what would happen. And it's playing hot potato. By the way, this isn't a matter of days. They have the Ark of the Covenant six to seven months. And lots of people are uncomfortable for six to seven months. City to city. So they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the Ark of the God. Uh, God of Israel and let it go again to its own place. Let's give it back to those people. They can deal with it and let it slay us not and our people for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. We're going to see in just a moment how many God killed with this disease and it's not a little number. And the men there that died not were smitten with emroids, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So they finally get together after six, seven months. They said, we can't handle it no more. Let's get rid of it. Let's send it back. Now, the problem is, is that the Philistines took it in the first place. It's not like they can just kind of, oh, never mind, we give it back. How are we going to give it back to them so we don't cover this disease, but still not seem like we're weak doing it? How are we going to do this? Well, that brings us to the second thing I want to show you. The Philistines and their plan. The Philistines and their plan. Notice with me in chapter 6, verse 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviner, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? 
Tell us wherewith shall we send it to its place. So they come and they go get all their wise men, their magicians, their, their priests and say, what do we do? How do we get rid of this? Tell us and we just need it out of our country. Verse number three. And they, the priests, said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him, that's God, a trespass offering, meaning uh, offering that said, I'm sorry, God, that we took your thing. We're giving it back. Please don't hurt us anymore. And it says, then you shall be healed and it shall be known to you why his hand was not removed from you. Then they said, what shall be the trespass offering which shall return him? And they answered, five golden emeroids and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistine. For one plague was on you all in your lords. So they said, what are we going to make him? I want you to make a little statue of your emeroids. Again, shake up your hands, but... Someone get in this and say, what is this? Have you ever seen some art that you scratched your head and say, what is that? Well, that's what they sent him. And then five mice along with it, some golden mice. Wherefore, ye shall make images of your emeroids and images of your mice that mar the land. And ye shall give glory to the God of Israel. Peradventure, he will lighten his hand off of you and from off your gods and off your land. That means you praise him, you do this, you honor him. And you know what? He might just get rid of this stuff in your land. So what are we going to do? Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? And when he wrought them wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? They went back to history and said, hey, let's not have our land destroyed like Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh refused to let uh, God's people go and God destroyed the land. They said, we're learning our lesson. We've had enough destruction. We're sending it back before our land's destroyed. Let, let, let them go back. Let them have their own way. We're not going to fight this God anymore. Now, therefore, make a new cart and take two milk kine. For those of you who don't understand Old English, that's two, uh, two cows. Kine is cows. But they're special cows. They're cows that had never been ridden or never been yoked up uh, on which they uh, hath no yoke and tie their kind to the cart and bring their calves home from them. So this brand new milk kind are, are cows, brand new cow mothers who just had calves who are now ready to feed their calves. And you take them, you put them in this cart, you take the calves away from them. Now, if you know anything about cows, that the cow wants to milk and it wants to feed the calf. And so what will happen is that if you let the cow uh, have its own way, it's going to go back to its calf each and every time. But they said, what you do is you take these brand new mother cows, you hook them up, you take away their calves away from them. Then notice this. Verse number eight. And take the ark of the Lord and lay it on the cart and put the jewels of gold, which you return to him for a trespass offer. Offering in a coffer on the side thereof and send it away that it may go and see if it goeth up by the way of the co of his own coast to Bethmesh. And then he has done to then he has done to us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that it happened to us. So they said, here's the test. We're going to put these brand new cows that should want to go back to their calves. We're going to put the Ark of the Covenant on the calf. Then we're going to say, he no rider, no one driving. And if God wants his ark back, he'll direct the cows back home, back to his land. 
Hey, if not, then we'll know it's just by chance some random thing that we're all getting the same thing. So guess what's going to happen? These cows, which normally are going to want their calves, are going to go into a foreign land and drop off the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Notice what happens. So we see the Philistines in their plan. Verse 12, uh, verse 11, and they laid the Ark of the... <laughs> ah, let's make sure I get everything here. Good. Verse 10, and the men did so and took the two milk kine and tied them to the cart and shut their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord on the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of their emeralds, and took the kine and the kine took straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistine went after them under the border of Beshemish. So what happened is that the, the Philistines, they loaded up the Ark of the Covenant. They put the, um, the, the calves away. They said, yeah, and they followed it just to see how it's going to go. And wouldn't you know, it made a straight line to the nearest Israelite town. Without turning to the left or right, it went on a straight path. And, and the lords of the Philistines are walking behind going, wow, look at this. So they get to the border. The Philistines don't cross the border, but they watch as the cart goes to this near town. So we see the Philistines and their town. The next thing we want to see here is the Philistines and their delivery. The Philistines and their delivery. So what happens? They, they get the cart to Beth Shemesh. What occurs? And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Here's some guys minding their own business. They're out in uh, doing the harvest. And they look up. Hey, is that the ark of the covenant? No one's driving the cart. Look at the cart. It's coming right towards us. Look at that. And the cart came to the field of Joshua, a Beshemite, and stood there where was a great stone, and they claved the wood of the cart and offered the kind a burnt offering to the Lord. So they bring it here, they take the wood of the cart, they build a fire, they take the cows, they kill them, they burn it as a burnt offering, saying, Wow, God, you are a great God. And they now have possession of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Levites took down the Ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. And the men of Beshemish offered a burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. Now notice in verse 17, this is a little parenthetical thought inside of uh, what I'm teaching you here. But if you're going to know anything about the Philistines and you're going to know something about your Bible, you need to know these five cities. This is something that any Bible student needs to know off the top of their head. The five cities of the Philistines, which is listed in verse 17. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines return for a trespass offering unto the Lord. For Ashdod, one. For Gaza, one. For Ascalon, one. For Gath, one. And Ekron, one. So these are the five cities of the Philistines. And so whenever you read in your Bible from here on out, if you see any of these cities, the first thing that pops in your mind should be Philistines. Gaza is an important city. Ashdod, by the way, is these five cities still exist today 
in Israel if you look at them. So these are important cities. These don't go away. But you're going to see these cities throughout the rest of your Bible. And when you see them, you should immediately associate them. These are Philistine cities. What are those cities again? They are Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. These are five important Philistine cities that you will see over and over. And again, when you see their names, you should immediately think Philistines. So what happens back to the story? So it's in Beth Shemesh. The Philistines deliver it. They go home and go, Woo, we're glad this is off our hands. Someone else can deal with this. Verse number 18. And the golden mice, according to the number of the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fence cities and of the country villages, even the great stone of Abel, wherein they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Bethshemite. And he smote the men of Bethshemesh. This is God. God smote the men of Bethshemesh. Why? Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now what happened is that this Ark of the Covenant was there for a couple days. And you know there was some punk teenager, maybe some 20-year-old. Hey guys, you ever wondered what's inside of this thing? Let's look. Hey y'all, let's watch this. And so when you know some goofballs decide they're going to go look in the Ark of the Covenant, you know what God did? He killed them. Why? Because God told them not to in the first place, and they should have known better. But notice as we now get a big tally of all the deaths that have occurred between chapters 5 and 6. And he smote the men of Beshemish because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord, and he smote the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. Now, when you look at this, you need to separate in your mind the 50,000 and the three score and 10, that's 70. God killed, this is given a grand total, God killed 50,000 people in the Philistines. Can you imagine that? 50,000 people died of hemorrhoids, hemorrhoids inside of this seven-month period. Then you had 70 goofballs inside of Beth Shemesh that said, hey, let's go look. 70 of them decided they were going to participate and God killed 70 of them there. So the grand total who's died because of the Ark of the Covenant wasn't where it was supposed to be. 50,070 people all together between the Philistines and the people of Beth Shemesh. I think maybe some people learned their lesson. Don't mess with God's stuff. Don't mess with God's stuff. Notice as it goes on. And the people of Beshemish said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? Hey, after God killed 70 of them, they're like, Oops, God's God. He could take care of his own self. The Philistines just has learned the lesson. Now the Israelites have to be retaught. Don't mess with God's stuff. Verse 21. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjarethrim. Saying, the Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it to you. They said, get it out of our town. Someone else take responsibility for it. And so they go and they actually pick it up. And it's going to remain there for about 20 years uh, during this time. And then they're going to park it somewhere else until David tries to pick it up himself later on down the road. So what are we getting from here? Well, one of the things I want to show you is that these people ha allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be captured. They brought it from Shiloh where they weren't supposed to bring it anyways. The, the Philistines took it. And for the Israelites, this was a hopeless situation. 
They had no hope of getting the Ark of the Covenant back. They didn't have special fortunes. They didn't have the armies to do it. They were oppressed people. They had no hope of getting the Ark of the Covenant back. But the wonderful thing is, is that we have a living God who could take care of his own stuff, who is always working in the background. Do you realize that God is working when you don't see him working? God is working when you don't feel like he's working. God is working in hopeless situations where there's nothing more we can do. But God's working in the background. And he's putting things together. And he's showing himself to be God. Maybe it's a family member that you've gotten to the place. There's nothing more you can do. You feel helpless. You've done everything you possibly can. And you say, I can't do anymore. I want to remind you that there's still hope because there is a living God. And that you might not see it. But God's moving things in the background. God is putting things in order. God may be inflicting. God may be doing things. But he is showing himself God. And he knows how to move. Maybe it's an impossible financial thing. Where you said there's no hope. I have this bill that needs to be paid. And there's no hope. As long as God lives. There's always hope. As long as God lives. He's always at work. He's always moving. He's always putting things together. You see, we have a wonderful God who is not constrained like we are. We have a God who is always at work. He is always moving and working and preparing and laying things down. God is always at work. Dear friend, we have to be reminded that we should be hopeful people. Even the midst of impossible or disparaging uh, situations. As long as God lives, there is hope. Because of that, we should be hopeful people. You know, we understand that we live in a world that's getting worse and worse. We understand that you pick up the newspapers, you read Facebook, you do watch the news, and it feels like all the joy and all the stuff can be sucked out of you. But I want to remind you that God is always at work, and there's always hope. There's always hope. When you have those family members where you just throw up your hand, and you say there's nothing can be done with them. I want to tell you, as long as God lives, there is always hope. We need to be hopeful people, not because of the situation, but because of our God is still on the throne. And as long as he lives, we have hope. We have hope. Dear friend, one of the things that is a poor testimony that we have is because we get discouraged, we get disappointed, and we get to the place where we Act like we have no hope. We should be a hopeful people. Because our God still lives. And he's able to work even in the most impossible of circumstances. We need to be a hopeful people. And we need to be reflecting that hope. We need to be always reflecting that hope. That when people look at your situation. You can still say God is still good. And God is still right. 
David talks about in the book of Psalms. That I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God. In the midst of that situation, he said, I would have quit. I would have fainted unless I just believed to see. He said, I can't even see the goodness of God. I just have to believe that he's good. Even David was in those places where he said, I don't see any good in here. I just have to believe that God is still good and God is still right. We need to be a hopeful people. Are you a hopeful person? Are you a type of person that still says God can still work? Even in the situation that this thing that's breaking your heart. Can you still say God can still work? God can still move. We need to work better at projecting and being honest that we are hopeful people. Why? Because our God still lives. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.